Welcome to Life of Die, the podcast which discusses all things role-playing and wargaming related. To coincide with the release of Cyberpunk 2077, we are continuing our look at the pen and paper role-playing game Cyberpunk 2020, and this time we're going to be focusing on character creation. And joining me in this latest podcast is regular friend, Craig. Hello. So probably the, the first thing that should be considered before getting into Cyberpunk for me, uh, from a, a GM's point of view, would be that I'd like to know what kind of campaign that the players want to play, essentially. And one of the things about Cyberpunk 2020 is that you can actually play, there's a whole lot of options about the different types of team that you can play. And some GMs, I would imagine, and you know, I'm probably guilty of it myself, probably have an idea of what kind of campaign they want to run for Cyberpunk. But I think it's a good thing to try and find out from your players first what it is that they want from it. Because if you write your own thing and it doesn't interest them in the slightest, you're not going to get you know, a good response from your players. So I'll just run quickly through some of the options that you have uh, for, for teams. You've got the corporate teams who are essentially hired by a particular multinational company, getting involved with kind of corporate wars and assassinations, that kind of thing, but probably get caught up as well in some internal executive backstabbing, I would imagine, especially if you want to make it interesting that, you know, there's people even on their own side that are out to get them as well because maybe they're they're trying to rise up through the ranks themselves or, or whatever. So that's the corporate teams. You've got bands, which essentially you're a, like a music band, a rock band, who go about on tour and get into adventures in between and sometimes during gigs. You've got the trauma team, which are their licensed medical teams and essentially fly around in kind of huge um, hover vehicles and they've got like mini guns and so on and they, they touch down usually in the middle of firefights and, and try and rescue the people who are, who are insured for them to pick up. So that's what they do. Uh, the mercenaries pretty much self-explanatory, free, freelance hired guns and yeah they can pretty much work for them they, although I would always say it's a good idea to, to try and have them hired by different sides in, in a particular battle and then you could have you know, both sides playing off against each other. That's always an interesting dynamic to bring to a role-playing game. You've also got various different gangs. You've got street gangs, you know, who are essentially punks hanging about the streets, getting in gang fights. But you can also have things like neighbourhood protection, where you're you're trying to protect your, your, your neighbourhood or your, your family or your extended family if you're like a nomad pack, which we're just about to come to. You could also be anti-authoritarian protesters, you know, people that are out, to try and bring down either the corporations or the government or, you know, whatever, the police. And it would probably be quite a, a relevant one for today's society. We've seen a bit of that. But yeah, you can do, there's examples of gangs. You've got the Nomad Pack, which I, I just referred to there, which is essentially a bit like the community. And if you've seen Mad Max 2 or even Mad Max Fury, there's, there's communities in there where it's like, they essentially drive about in cars and bikes. Yeah, it's a bit like Mad Max. They're not typically, certainly in the rule book, it doesn't really give you much information about it. It tells you about Night City in the, in the rule book, which is pretty much, you know, like Blade Runner or Mega City 1 or, you know, one of these cities you see, maybe like the Fifth Element be another good example. But it mentions for the Nomad Packs that there's it's out in the wasteland, so that it's maybe like Judge Dredd, I don't know, where it's it's never really clarified, where it's, it seems to be that there's a, the kind of mega city, as it were, and then suddenly there's wastelands as well. Yeah, certainly, certainly from the, the gameplay footage I've seen, there is elements of, of Cyberpunk 2077 that you can you can go outside of the city and it looks kind of, yeah, it looks like your typical desert wasteland, ash wastes type, type environment. Um, so I'm guessing there's quite a lot of kind of design space there for plagiarizing those kind of uh, archetypes, I guess. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I think all art steals from other art, usually all the best stuff does anyway. Mm-hmm. As well as that, you've also got cops. Bob, who's not who's not with us tonight, it was on the last podcast he had, is playing as cops, and we were sent out. Essentially, the, <laughs> it was totally corrupt. The, the cops were pretty much hired by the, the corporations to do their, their dirty work. So yeah, we we uh, found ourselves doing jobs that we weren't want didn't want to do, uh, rather than solving kind of what you would expect kind of typical crime to be, you know, robberies and things like that. So it, it tended to be that we were yeah brought in by the the corporates. Mm-hmm. 
you do either way, and you could do a mixture. Actually, all is all is totally valid. Yeah, I mean, until until you mentioned it, there, I actually forgot that we were meant to be cops in that campaign. And in fairness, my character was a was one of the was a kind of media attachment to that team. So yeah, I think again, with even with a cops team, there's if someone's determined not to be a cop, they can uh, you can kind of fit that in a little bit, I guess. Definitely, and it's a totally corrupt world anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, you, I think that's actually quite a fun aspect. You would definitely want the, the cops to be corrupt and not really up to any good, and potentially <laughs> having run-ins with each other as well because they're all if they're all out for themselves, and it's you know they might see other cops as muscling in and they're their uh, patch and whatever deeds are up to behind the scenes as well. Speaking of medias, because you did, um, medias, you can have a media team, which are journalists who are looking to, you know, break stories about crimes or, you know, corruption or any of the kind of big things, bad things usually, <laughs> as news tends to be. Yeah, they've been going on in Night City or whatever setting that is. Some, sometimes you could be sent, you know, there are it's assumed that there's other places in the world, not just the city, so you could be travelling to other countries, sometimes at the behest of one corporation and send you into foreign territory to, to raid something there, that kind of thing, which is an interesting one as well because it means that you're out of your bubble because you don't know the, the territory you're going to. Once you know a city, the rough layout of it, you probably get comfortable with what you can expect and what you don't expect. So, yeah, that it's a good way of mixing up the game as well. So, yeah, that's, that's the kind of main teams I mean, what's your feeling? Is there, is there any of those that you naturally gravitate towards as a player yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the there's some there's some obvious ones which are probably easier to play and easier to get a group together for. So I think I think mercenaries and gangs, nomad pack, are kind of all are kind of similar. They've got a bit of a similar feel about them. Mm. Cops again is is one that's probably. Easier because there's not, you know, it's naturally a team in in real life. There's different skill sets within that. So even as a cops team, you could still have, like we had in ours, like a media attachment. You could still have fixers or your CIs on the street that are involved. I think it it's probably quite a hard one to either design a campaign around or to potentially GM if it was something like a media team or a trauma team or even a band. Like I think role playing a band sounds sounds quite cool on paper, but I'm not cool enough in real life to pull it off so i think it'd be difficult to role play it and <laughs> who, who 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 gets who has to be the drummer is, is also a question that would come up or, or like the groupie i guess as well it could be a could be, could be a rough could be a rough raid for somebody playing that role but craig that's the whole point of role playing you're, you're supposed to put yourself in yeah no no i, I get it oh, I, I sort of get it that's my caveat i, I think I, I think i still need to uh, fully engage in role playing to, to get more involved no that's fair enough i suppose what i would say about that is i would agree that bands are probably kind of tricky because what what's the story do you know what i mean like your overall story but i suppose it's about your trying you know your your growth as a band you know potentially starting out you know at tiny gigs for you know where there's 20 people turning up or whatever and then hopefully ending up as mega stars at stadiums but what is it you're trying to do do you know what i mean yeah I don't know. I think I think everyone I think everyone I know that plays role playing games it tends to be that kind of typical band meets in a tavern. Rob, that's the wrong word to use in this case. A group of people, you know, meet meet in a tavern. They've all got different skill sets, and then they pick up a kind of a quest effect. It probably has a kind of overlap with. We're going to get into this in a minute. The, the fixer characters who are street dealers. So I could imagine like you would have a manager, so you've got a story, you've got some kind of story, some kind of base that are trying to push you and they're throwing you into gigs that are maybe dangerous and things like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, the more the more I think about it now, it, it does actually sound like it'd be quite a fun fun one to do. I, I don't think it'd be something you'd want to play for years and years, mm. potentially. It's maybe quite a good kind of one for like a, a one shot or, you know, a couple of sessions to kind of go through it. But yeah, I, I, just personally, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's something I could, I could really get that into. But I'd be, I'd be keen to see it. I'd be keen to see how it works. And obviously, the, you know, it's key to the whole cyberpunk aesthetic, and it's kind of pretty well fleshed out in the rules and stuff. So I think it is the rules will, will support you on that if, if that's the way that your group wants to go. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I agree with you that. The, um... I think you said the media team, didn't you? That that's kind of difficult. Yeah, that's another tough one. 
I can see how it could work. I suppose it would depend on whether you want to go for the full experience, in which case at the end of every adventure you should be doing like a report to camera, as it were. So you'd be essentially be doing a presentation to the group. Yeah. I think that bit would be problematic for a lot of players. Unless, of course, they went away and wrote it up and, you know, sent it, you, know, you could do it that way and send it on to everybody. Yeah. But I don't know how many players are that engaged that they want to do. Exactly. It's, it's just, I can imagine there's people out there that love doing all that. But I don't know. For for me, the kind of escapism of playing an RPG is a lot of the time it's, it's you know, a, a fine balance of action and a narrative. And if it's effectively like working a second job where you've got to get reports in on time for your, your hard-ass boss or whatever, <laughs> then it doesn't sound like escapism to me. Um, but yeah, it's certainly playing as a, well, we can talk about you know, the individual characters in a, in a bit, but certainly playing as a, as a media in the last campaign we did, I found it I found it difficult to stay in character a lot of the time because certainly in that kind of traditional action RPG um, type campaign as we played, it's you know there's a lot of a lot of potential for for shooting or for action, and if you're in the if you're a, a media type, then you're potentially not going to be standing on top of a sky rise with a with a minigun and hosing people <laughs> down. So yeah, it just it just requires a bit. We can I think in the end it, we kind of worked out and. I was kind of reluctant at first to get involved in the action, but as stakes were raised, I was able to fumble for my my thirty eight special and, uh, and take out some punks. But yeah, it, it's it's not necessarily it's not definitely not my first choice or the first thing I think about when I would start looking at characters or a campaign. The one team that I really don't like the idea of is a is a trauma team because I really don't get what it is you're supposed to do with that the trauma team fly in in their hover tank. They've got mini guns on it, which is cool. They've got solos, which will, you know, because they're dropping into the middle of firefights and they're picking up wounded people. But that's really it. They, you know, the, the, the med tech pieces are called. They, they kind of fix them up. They get them back to the hospital, fix them up. Mm-hmm. So unless you're playing something that's a bit like trying to recreate like a futuristic ER, yeah, I don't quite understand what it is you're supposed to do with that. Yeah, again, I think it could totally work as a, as a small-scale thing for a few sessions like um yeah because it'd be, it'd be like playing like mash or er or, or even some some of the kind of more recent war movies involving like the para jumpers and then kind of combat medics and that kind of thing which is you know it's a it's a cool mm. it's a cool job enough to, to make big hollywood movies about it um but, but yeah like you say it's, it's, it's a tough one because you're kind of limited in what your what the scope of the the mission's going to be and, and what what's expected of you as a character. Just just actually, as we're talking about it here, it, it's actually occurred to me that maybe one thing you you could do, and it, it, it would need the players to buy into this idea, but you could essentially have a central team, you know, like you that you play most weeks, whether it's nomads or whether it's a street gang or mercenaries, whatever it is, that you do that main campaign, but then occasionally there's like a kind of, there's, there's one shots that intersperse, and there may be the one shot is still set in the same universe and the same like everything that yeah. that you've been doing, if that makes sense in the game, but you've come in uh, just playing this different team, like the trauma team or cops or the media or whatever it is, yeah. and sh- showing a different perspective on the the world yeah, that'd be really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I could imagine if, if one of the main characters was severely injured or something, and you could you could fly in the the med tech team and then have that played out. You know, the the kind of saving of their life or the attempted saving of their life happens in in real time from another character's perspective. That that'd be quite cool. Yeah. Again, I think I think as you say, the way it's getting buy-in from players. I think I think if you've got an established group and you're kind of you've, you've played through the the kind of more archetypal everyone's their own kind of individual yeah yeah going, going for a kind of team-based game could be quite interesting i just think it's maybe not one you do you do cold with a new group yeah i mean in, in general terms i would still expect even though i'm saying what kind of team are you that's more about like what it is that the players want to achieve and, and what kind of organization they want to be part of whether they want to be as I say, like you could be protesters, you're just you're not even part of anything. You're just trying to stand up to the kind of corruption and corporate entities and all, all that kind of thing. You could start, you know, could be that kind of right at the bottom thing, or you could be, you know, a corporate team who's working for one of these ones and trying to figure out maybe maybe you're trying to do some harm from the inside. I don't know, or 
rather than just going along with the, the status quo as it were. So within each of these bands, I, I don't mean that you should be like for cops, you should all be cops as a as a character type or all be media. Yeah. Each of these teams should still have a kind of variety of, of characters and obviously if you've got a mercenary team, you're probably going to be mostly solos, but there is always a like gaps there that are kind of good to have different characters to come in and, and plug. Yeah, I, th- I think the only the only slight risk with that, and maybe it was kind of happened a little bit in our last campaign, was if everyone's if we're all corrupt cops and there's a, a media person on the team, they might be given the cold shoulder a little bit and maybe not they might not get them involved in all of the all of the missions or all of the mm. all of the kind of splitting up the drug bust money or whatever that that kind of thing. Or, or if you're a fixer, you maybe you know they might not be involved in every every mission going as well. So, yeah, I guess it depends just how much willingness there is to split the party on occasion and have kind of branching stories for for characters. Well, I don't I don't know if it would be necessary just because a, a fixer might not just say for example they were they were thrown into a corporate team and they were to infiltrate a, an enemy corporation's building or something like that. Just because the, the fixer doesn't have anything specific to do, I don't think it necessarily doesn't mean that he's kept out of the game. He should still be coming along for the, the fight and, and for all that. So yeah. I think you can still have weeks where there's the kind of reason for your character, I suppose, isn't necessarily there all the time. It's a job of the GM to make sure that all of the characters get their, their chance to use some of their abilities yeah, absolutely. Um, whenever necessary. So Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's what we discovered in that last campaign. I think that's what we discovered was that although it didn't often make sense for the, the media guy to be there, you know, an extra an extra gun in the fight or whatever is always is always welcome, um, especially in, in the brutal world of Cyberpunk twenty twenty. And I guess as long as it doesn't break anyone's immersion or whatever, then just just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we'll get get straight into the, the actual character types now because we are kind of using a few terms which for the uninitiated probably doesn't mean anything. So there's a, a number of different kind of key characters that you can play in Cyberpunk. And I'm just going to run through briefly what it is each character type is, and they've all get, each one's got a special ability. So the first one are the rocker boys, who, as we were kind of alluding to there, are essentially rock like a rock band or either singers or guitarists or drummers or whatever it is. And so the thing that's quite interesting, this game came out in 1990, and, and to me, the the uh, archetype band that it's that, that springs to mind about what they're looking for, and this is uh, Rage Against Machine, who came out about two years later, because it definitely is kind of with a slant that it's their place to challenge authority. All, all the whale, all the whale, and the payroll of a mega as well. <laughs> well, that's true, and that's true. Rage Machine, they were, uh, I think Sony was there. Sony, yeah. Uh... <laughs> uh, I like them, so I'm not going to slag them off anything. No, me too. I know. <laughs> um, the ability that the Rocker Boy has, once they start getting followers, they can they can essentially drive the, the crowd into a bit of a, a frenzy and have them as their own private army. The way it, I would run it, and I think it is described in the, the section about the special abilities, is, is that it's it's really just in the, the aftermath of the gig. You know, once you whip, whip them into this frenzy, that you can set them off. And So I wouldn't say that it means that you've necessarily got permanent followers. It's just really in the moment because you've everybody's probably off their head and um, drinking and in this world there's a lot of drug use as well so yeah it'd probably just be the fact that they're just you know off their head in the first place <laughs> that they're willing to join their, their uh, idols on a, on a rampage through the streets or wherever it happens to be so that kind of covers the, the rocker boys the solos probably if you're into the combat side of the game and the combat side of the game is really important solos are Hired assassins, bodyguards, killers, and soldiers. Essentially combat specialists. I don't necessarily, I don't know, maybe you'll find, disagree with me here, Craig, but I, I don't find the solo as interesting a character to play, but at the same time, from a game perspective, they're, like, great. Yeah, I, th- I think if you're if you're not too fussed narrative element of it, or, or, if, you're, or if you've got something, you know, st- stored away for one that you could use, I think, I think the... Yeah, in terms of just playing like Friday night firefight, week in, week out, they're the, the obvious choice to go for. Mm. Um and if you're if you just like rolling dice and, you know, 
that, that's that's the way to go. Yeah, Friday night fire uh, firefight. By the way, is is um, the combat rules and and Cyberpunk twenty twenty for him. That's not in the note. The ability that the solos get is combat sense, and the reason that's such an important ability is that there's a, a, a kind of initiative pecking order, and that ability boosts your ref, which is um, the, the stat that kind of determines how quickly you, you react. And essentially, all solos are going to act before MDLs is because they've got this ability. And the uh, combat is really deadly in, in Cyberpunk, so that's why the solo and the and their ability the combat sense is so important to actual battles in the game and, and, and gameplay because it is so lethal that you can die relatively easy compared to certainly a number of systems that we we're all familiar that the two of us are familiar with. I think this is up there with some of the most unforgiving, although I would say maybe aliens potentially worse. <laughs> yeah, it can it can go quite south quickly an alien just through stress and and that kind of mechanic, yeah. Um, but yeah, the combat um, definitely getting getting shot in this in Cyberpunk twenty twenty can can be fatal, unsurprisingly. Yeah, and uh, especially when you fumble too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full auto is uh, not to be trifled with. Yeah, we'll maybe mention that later on as well. We'll come back to that. Netrunners is the next type of character. I have to say that this is a character that I don't want to see in a in the game, and the reason why. I like the idea of it, and I think there's a lot of thought that's went into what the netrunners are and how it all works. But in practice, what happens is when a netrunner, sorry, the, the purpose of the netrunners is that they're computer hackers. They enter the, the virtual realm. They literally travel into the... Yeah, it's kind of lawnmower man-esque, that kind of idea of projecting your avatar into kind of another digital realm, that kind of... Yeah, yeah. but but as your consciousness as well that's going on, as um, we understand it. But the problem with it is that the um, when that happens, the netrunner has, it's essentially like a kind of grid, and there's there's enemy programs, and the netrunner has programs that they use against these to neutralise them. And so what happens is that the rest of the team are playing one game, and the netrunner's playing a separate game, yeah. and it, it just doesn't work. It just kind of breaks up the whole thing. It's maybe interesting as a one-off. But I think if you were going to have netrunners, you're much better just having the whole team as netrunners and it's like you're all working together to try and get through those those things. But for me, I wouldn't miss a netrunner if he wasn't there. And I'm sorry to everybody that's worked in the game if anybody's listening to this. Because <laughs> I can see that there's so much effort and, and it is an, it's interesting to read definitely in the rules. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big part of the it's a big part of the genre, obviously. It's a it's a big part of um likes in your romance or etc but it's yeah it's maybe just not handled in the way that makes it fun for for the other players and then uh, again it's it's there's probably more modern ways to do it now i would imagine there's probably more streamlined way of integrating if it was just a you know if they maybe cut it down to a series of skill checks or a slightly more mini mini game yeah it might be maybe easier to integrate because i think i think not having them in a team not having a net runner on your team is probably you're you're probably missing out on a lot of opportunities for, you know, for classic cyberpunk scenarios like hacking into mainframes and disabling security systems and all all that kind of stuff. But as you say, if it's just no fun in gameplay terms, then then why would you do it? Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely one I'd definitely one I'd look at house ruling some way, even if it is just having some kind of. I mean, there, there's 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 a whole um, game called Net right there from Fantasy Flight, which is a kind of Exactly that. Exactly that mini game expanded into a kind of yeah, card game, isn't it? Um, opposed card game. Yeah, it's like a card game, um, kind of Magic the Gathering style. So even if they could do something like that quickly on the fly, might might be better. But I can agree with you. I mean, I think the skill checks would be the way to go with it, and you just have a series of programs, and you decide which one. You know, potentially there's one program in your way, and you use your your net running ability interfaces and net runners ability, which which essentially helps them. When they're using these programs against and they're hacking into these these kind of systems. Yeah, I mean it's it's odd they didn't. It's it's, a, it's an odd omission as well that they're missing as a team of netrunners because you could see if there was a team of netrunners, you could maybe build some kind of narrative around it and not have it that they're all just playing the mini games for the whole you know the whole session that they're actually doing things like using other skills to, to bypass mm-hmm. stuff as if they're in the physical world that kind of thing. That could be quite interesting. 
but again, that would, I guess that would be not net running at that point. You'd just be playing a normal campaign in, inside a virtual world or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. There's there's ways of doing it. I think. I mean, the, the way that I've traditionally got around this is is that you hire a net runner, an NPC, yeah, and it means that yeah, it's it's good and bad. It basically means that you just don't have to to worry about any of that side of things. You you hire a net runner to hack and you know the corporate system unlock the doors for you as you're making your way through the building. But then I suppose the downside of that is it's then at the GM's whim whether or not you know you could you could you do roles if you want to go there. But you know it really depends on the GM what happens rather than the the players what happens. Uh, a bit of downside mm-hmm. of it, but yeah, always to me that was always a, a reasonable fix for it, which just yeah you hire them. I mean that's that's the thing when it, when it comes down to it, you're really doing things like that, like unlocking the doors in the building, locking the the lifts, you know, all these kind of things, the security pro- protocols. These were all things that the net runner could could get could do once they get access to a system. So yeah, it, I don't know. Does are you missing out on that much by doing that kind of stuff? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think so. I think I think there's definitely some fun to be had in that role if you think to like films like Mission Impossible or you know other mm. kind of spy movies that kind of thing where you're where you're infiltrating a corporate tower and you've got someone who is just unlocking the doors as they come up to them and disabling security cameras and you know on ad hoc on the fly as the, as the other team moving through the building and there's a chance that you might you know forget to do one or have trouble with a door and it, you know it can build some tension I think I think that's a, a quite an interesting scenario and it's a, just a bit of a shame that if you can't do it. I mean, I think there's still, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there are still things that players can do to, you know, open doors, security skills and computer skills, but it's not quite the same as having that dedicated resource on it. Yeah, I think I think the next category, the techie, probably could do things like that um, because you're, you're running about with a toolkit. You can repair computers, you can repair equipment. I don't see why if it was a, you know, a kind of keypad door that a, a techie couldn't overrun that. So yeah, that's that's really what they're about. And they've got the jury rig ability, which I'm not mad in it, but it means that you can, from memory, it's uh, you can build gadgets and you can repair gadgets and potentially combine them as well. I suppose and make something interesting. So I suppose if you're into that, if you liked the A team as a kid, then I think you would that would probably be quite a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the kind of sub branch of techies is med techies, which is medics. They'd get medical tech, which is essentially, as you'd expect, it helps them heal people. So, yeah, I think they're, they're fairly essential. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, they're really helpful. Yeah, they're really helpful on your team. I mean, techie definitely, as I said, because it's so, so deadly. And then that brings us on to the media. And media is a journalist, you know, so you're, you're out there, you're, you'll be you know, broadcasting things to the, to the nation or to a small region or depending on what, what your GM allows you to be part of and yeah I actually quite like the idea of that I, I do actually like the media as a, as a character I just it's, it's just tricky to do that if you're actually going to get really into it to do the, the delivery of your report because at some point in the game you really should be doing a report to camera uh, or something along those lines and his ability is a, his credibility which is you know it's about the ability to be believed by your your viewers and by everyone, and it's it's kind of critical to get your your story out there. So it's as important with that. And there's yeah, the, all of these skills, all these kind of specialist skills, have degrees of of how good you can be with them. We'll get we'll maybe talk about that shortly as well. The next type of character is caught or cops. So I think we've kind of probably explained them pretty well already. That <laughs> they they tend to be hired out. Uh, Quite often the, the corporates will, you know, they bought the police off, so you potentially would have to abort missions um, because of that. And yeah, there'll be a lot of corruption involved in the the cops of the cyberpunk world. Yeah, was it the authority they've got, which helps you from memory, uh, intimidating people from memory? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it represents the ability to call on the forces of the law and government to get what they want. So you can use authority to yeah question people, and once you get a really high authority, then you can start busting people that are you know really important figures. But until you're at that stage, you're probably just going to get told by your captain he's not getting locked up. Beat it. <laughs> you know that's that's pretty much the the way of it. I would imagine. You then get the corporates uh, who are the you know 
the uh, guys in suits, the, the Burks of the world, if you're familiar with aliens, that's pretty much what they are. They kind of tend to be kind of sleaze balls and yeah, out for themselves, out for the to boost their own standing in the company and and their personal wealth as a consequence. Their and their ability as uh, resources, resources. Yep. Aye, so they can basically get the, the kind of company to back them up. So if you get poor resources, you can maybe get a company car, but you know potentially you might be able to get like call upon the, the company's team of souls or or that kind of thing. So I think you quite like those characters, don't you, Craig? I've uh, I've came around to it. Yeah, I've I've had the uh, had similar similar characters in the past. I don't think it's always been me that I've, I've not gravitated towards them, but um, yeah, somehow just slip right into them like a glove. <laughs> That's, I'm not saying you're a sleeve ball, <laughs> but I think I think it's kind of quite interesting characters to play because they. I know not not all players like this, but I do quite like a bit of conflict. You know, niggle. Yeah, a bit of conflict in the team that there's that there are people working against each other. So. Yeah, I think I think I think you need to tread a fine line with it. Yeah, you need to try tread tread a fine line with it, and, and again dial it back every so often for the for the sake of the group not falling out in real life um that kind of thing but yeah it's 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 it quite a cool dynamic to have someone who's maybe not you know looking out for the best interest of the team and, and looking out for themselves yeah um, and certainly well i like it as well myself you yeah know of course <laughs> i've done it a few times absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so then, then we've got fixers which yeah i really enjoyed playing a fixer when i was playing it in bob's campaign Street, the fixers are basically kind of street dealers, so they can be dealing drugs. They can, be, but mostly they can. They're, they're going to be dealing, you know, maybe arms and and probably information is really the main thing that they're they're dealing in. So it's you know what the word on the street is it well, and maybe you're too young to remember it, but Starsky and Hot Springs to mind with Huggy Bear, yeah, that kind of character, absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of fun. I always really liked that character on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> um, I was I actually thought he was more interesting than the. The two main characters. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, street deal is, is is his special ability, which basically means it's how easy it is for him to gather information about things that are going on and the kind of level of you know information they can get. But yeah, I always think they're really interesting characters. The fixers, you can do different things. When essentially, I played Clarence Bodicals when I was playing a fixer. <laughs> I don't know if you you saw it that way or not at the time. Yeah, yeah, certainly got. Yeah, there was an air of psychosis about it. I'm not sure if that was it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just like doing his voice. Uh, that yeah. Bodicker's got going. And the last character type is the no- are the nomads, who are pretty much Mad Max. That's who they are. That's, that's exactly what they are. They, they drive about in these kind of caravans of trucks and bikes and buggies and, yeah, whatever kind of vehicles they can get their hands on. They, they drive about and the whole pack is seen as a, as a family. Which I think is quite an interesting dynamic. It's, it's, it's a good one, going back to what we were talking about, the teams and the Nomad Pack is a good one because you're all really family to each other and if you're all part of the pack. And yeah, that's, speaking of family, that's that's exactly what the, uh, the special ability is. So you can call upon your uh, Nomad Pack to back you in whatever mission you're doing, it, whether it's in the form of weapons, cash or information, or, or even, you know, some backup as well, you know, so yeah, I think I think that's quite a fun type. It could be an interesting campaign. I personally would prefer that they maybe were coming in and out of the city. I wouldn't really want. I I, I don't know if I could find driving through the wastelands to be a particularly interesting campaign. Mm. If that makes sense. I mean, it'd be a bit of a kind of like a road movie story. You're, you're moving from one place to another. And... Yeah, I mean, I guess you could have it as some kind of subterranean thing. You could have them and living in the sewers, maybe, and traveling across the city via the sewers or something like that. But then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, not sure how I'd play that one. Yeah, I, I think it would be fine to have the, the pack actually, you know, driving into the city and causing absolute chaos and carnage. I think it would be, would be quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's the a kind of main, as well, not the main ones, that's all your options. As, as These are the, the different character types in Cyberpunk. And to be honest, my gripes about the net running aside, I think they're all, actually quite fun characters if you can find a way into each one of them yeah absolutely and i think there are there are ways into most of them so and they're they're, a, they're kind of key skills or their um, character skills special abilities special abilities yeah i mean they're each of those are can have a massive game effect definitely so yeah no they're they're, they're all pretty well balanced 
So moving on, and uh, once you pick your character type, one of the things I find really interesting about Cyberpunk is that it has a kind of fairly extensive character creation, and I don't mean that in terms of that there is about the the skills, the number of skills you can get, and weapons and equipment and cybernetics. But before you even get to that, there's what's called the life path, and this is a bit as I come with, with my GM hat on. I just love this. I really, really love it. I think it's a great a great kind of element to the game because it makes the players create a kind of fully realised background before they even start. And the reason I think that's a great thing as a GM is that it means that you've got things that you can call up from their past and bring into the game. And that character, that player, will go, oh, that the GM did that. To me, that's what I'm always trying to do. Is I want I always want my players to feel like I've done things in the game for them if that makes sense, to make it feel like this is about you. It's not It's not just about the team, it's about each one of you. And to me, Cyberpunk, with this, this background system, actually creates something really cool for the GM. Whether or not players <laughs> will enjoy it as much, having to kind of think out their background as, as kind of detailed as this, I don't know. But that's why I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, as I say, Cyberpunk 2020 was my introduction to pen and paper rpgs so it was good for me to not have to you know it gives you it allows you to essentially roll for kind of starters or hints as to what your background could be and piece it together from that and i guess as long as you've got a little bit of an inkling about what sort of character you want you can build upon the things you roll up so no i think it is really good especially and and as you say it's an invaluable tool for the GM or it's an invaluable resource for the GM to have this sort of information which I can imagine is probably quite hard to draw out of some players sometimes in other systems. Yeah, I mean one of the problems as a as a GM, I know you've only been at the player side of the table, but if the players don't really give you anything to kind of work off of, all you can really do is try and bring try and make the scenario as interesting as you can in a general kind of sense. But you, you don't it's very hard to do that thing that I was talking about where you want the players to feel like I've actually written this for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like you want each player around the table. Well, I do. I, I want each player around the table to feel that this is for them personally. And everyone should get their kind of moment in the sun, if you like, where it's like, all right, that's that's to do with this thing that I'm trying to do with my character or, or that thing that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why there's some players just maybe like the combat side of the game more than they like the role playing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but. It's just that that's that's the case, and so perhaps there probably are some players out there who just like the rolling and the dice, and so really what they want when they do a character creation is they just want stats because that's the important bit of the game for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, but yeah, it, it makes it hard for the GM certainly to to personalise anything for that character if, if the player's not telling you anything about their background and if they're not engaging in the role playing side so much yeah i think i think this sort of um this sort of way of doing it with cyberpunk 2020 like it, it might bring people out of their shell a little bit that would have normally been that reluctant camp well, well it kind of forces you to do it so i guess there's that but um but, but even then it probably makes maybe changes their opinion a little bit on character creation for other rpgs as well and for other systems and I'm a bit more involved. I certainly think that's how it worked for me. I mean, obviously, as I say, I came involved to to Cyberpunk, so I've not really got anything to, to base it on prior to that, but I certainly wasn't too bothered about character creation first time around. I think I probably was more interested in the in the dice rolling aspect. I suppose you had nothing, no kind of thing to compare it to, I suppose, so you had no expectations. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. if you'd done something like you know Star Wars, which is fairly quick and easy, create a character in Star Wars because all it is is going out, it tells you all your stats and it just says put some dice on these skills and it actually gives you a pre-generated background. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that by the way at all. No, no. Uh, The pre-generated backgrounds are actually quite helpful. I think think it does give you I think doing it this way though probably gives you a bit more of a bit more of appreciation for it, for the characters and maybe, yeah, it gives you a bit more and into your character. Yeah, it makes your character yours rather than just something you've rolled up or thrown thrown points to. And I, and I, I do think, I think I've, I think I've definitely matured a bit more in role playing over the years, where I now don't really, 
I think I think there's a bit more of a balance, or I prefer a bit more of a balance between the narrative and the the action. Um, certainly, I, th I basically just think if you if you're really into the rolling of the dice and the combat, better ways to do that. You know, you could just play a tabletop war game or something mm -hmm. and, and get that out of your system. Yeah, you need. I think you need to have some sort of balance between between character and and action. I think in general terms. I like to try and get it roughly 50 50 mm -hmm. in a session. I don't know if it comes across that way when, when you've played sessions of mine or not. Yeah, well, it generally does. I certainly, yeah, I certainly try and, try and have role playing. I, I want role playing in every session. That's that's a definite. And I don't want it to be a combat simulator, really, because, like you say, we, you know, we've got interest in, in lots of war games um, and we can do that. So it's not that's not really, to me, the kind of. I think if you're a GM, you're probably somebody that would quite like to write a book or mm -hmm. you know you're certainly a storyteller is what i think and for me the m most important thing in any role-playing game is that there's a good story and the players get involved in it and they you know hopefully shape it and hopefully push it in ways that you, you know, happens pretty much most sessions the players do things that i don't expect them to do some you know are problems because you you like you're really having to think your feet and trying to frantically bring things back to where you wanted them if that's if that's what you were doing but but then sometimes you, you know you, you, you can try and think in your feet maybe talk about this in star wars because there was one session where something happened that completely threw everything off that i'd never seen coming and i managed to work my way around and it came to a kind of actually managed to deal with what the the, the, the kind of massive curveball that the, <laughs> the team threw at me <laughs> That's an interesting one because I don't I don't think I've ever seen you flustered, really. Well, I was I was in the other line end of the line, so you didn't see me getting flustered. Ah, uh, okay. So it's a, a recent one, was it? Okay, it was a recent one. I'll I'll, I'll uh, yeah, we'll talk about it in one of the Star Wars podcasts. No, no, that's, that sounds that sounds like a good one for that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I think that's well. Again, it's maybe more of a general topic, but one of the the interesting things about pen and paper RPGs and interacting with other people who potentially are playing the not you know they're, they're playing the same campaign but they're playing a different game in their head or they're playing a different type of character in their head mm. from the one you've rolled up you might have it in your head that there's some kind of you know strict hardcore sci-fi cyberpunk kind of blade runner style movie and they might be thinking more in their head that this is a kind of anime or a bit more of a kind of cartoony kind of thing and, and i guess i guess as a player there's a certain amount of maturity that's been gained from taking joy in other people's experiences and not getting frustrated when someone doesn't play the way you want to, rather than at uh, primary school or, or, or playgroup. But um, yeah, playing well with others and, and not always getting your own way is, is probably a, a really good life lesson that playing RPGs with real people does give you. And, and one of the things that you said earlier on about people who are, you know, maybe would be quiet in general terms and maybe not that confident and would you know not get into characters i mean to be honest i think that's part of the reason why i play such when i when i do play games i tend to play characters that are quite loud and aggressive because i think it's i think that's i think the reason for it is because i'm not really like that in life I, yeah you know maybe i'm talking quite confidently here at the moment but i think in general terms if i'm in you know, social circles particularly if it's a kind of large thing i tend to be quite quiet and just kind of stand in the periphery and and listen most of the time it's not that i'm not interested i am but yeah I just I think it's a, a confidence thing. So I, I think when I get around a, a role playing table, I kind of overcompensate for that. And that that kind of I tend to play characters who are extremely confident and very sure about what how important they are and and all that thing. So I think it is there is probably an, an element of you know trying to counter how I, how I potentially I think I'm in real life. Yeah, I, th I think I'm I think I'm similar. Um, also, it depends how much I've been drinking during a session as well. Um, <laughs> can, can can have a massive effect on on uh, the character's personality as well funnily enough but yeah it's, it's one of those ones uh, you, you see it all the time when we used to play in in amongst other groups as well and that were playing their own rpgs in the same same room or the same game pub or whatever and um you'd kind of see the the quietest the quietest mouse in the group would suddenly be more or less standing on the table shouting <laughs> <laughs> at some point during the session which is which is good to see you know it's it's good it's a, it is a good release of that pent-up inner personality maybe that for some people they don't get to they don't get to use very often so yeah 
I don't expect he's going to psychology or anything. So that's a nice box tick there. <laughs> no, no, I think that's a yeah, that's a that's a whole whole other whole other podcast. I think that one. <laughs> so I'm just going to run through some of the things that you can customize. I'm not going to read this verbatim because there's far too much of it. Yeah, it's quite chart chart heavy, isn't it? Yeah. So the things you can obviously ask your your kind of ethnic origin. It's a bit like Blade again, Blade Runner. Los Angeles, where there's, there's all sorts of different values um, in the city. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a. I don't know if it's ahead of its time in that regard, or if it's maybe you know no longer no longer PC or or whatever. But it's yeah, it's true. You you could get yourself into hot water if you if you were in a if, certainly if you were playing in a public place. Yeah, I think I mean that that's one. Is that one that you choose, or is that one you roll for? I can't remember. No, you can you can. You can choose, yeah. You can choose. I think most of, I think most of this background stuff you can choose, which is a good thing. So yeah, you can choose that, and it's up to you what you, you want to do. And but yeah, you should be careful about that stuff with your with your group about what they they find acceptable and what they won't find acceptable. So it, it gives you lots of ideas as well, customizing your clothes, your hairstyle, other things like tattoos, mirror shades. That you've got to have mirror shades if you're playing cyberpunk. That's just absolutely. Uh, it shouldn't shouldn't even be an option not to have it. Yeah. Sh- it's not, I know, scars, gloves, things like that. So yeah, it gives you some it's the kind of thing you'd be probably, I imagine that the, the computer game, I'm pretty sure it does. I'm sure I heard this, that it does allow you to cust- completely customise the look of your character. So. Yeah, I think it goes, I think it goes, uh, without giving too much away, I think it goes quite, quite deep into that, maybe a bit more so than uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd want you'd want people to see. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, I've seen some interesting clips. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can you can do all those things, that, although certain options in the game in the computer game don't seem to be covered here um but anyway we'll, we'll move on in that so getting into the kind of background thing which is about i was talking about earlier on i think it's really interesting so it depends what your family background that you're from whether your your parents were corporate types if you're part of the nomad pack like we talked about earlier on or perhaps you're in a crime family these are all options it asks you about your, your parents so you can choose or roll one you can you know did something happen to them were they murdered did you not remember them? Did you, you know, did you lose them? And you've been still looking for them. These kind of things it also gives you a family status where you, you you can have. It says things about your like your childhood environment, where it was you grew up, uh, siblings, which brothers and sisters you've got, what how they feel about you, and yeah, there's family tragedies, which are always interesting things. For again, that's one of the key ones for the GM. Always good to have a family tragedy in the, the background <laughs> to to uh, dredge up at some point and have your players have that that um, moment where they kind of the light bulb goes off. Oh, that's that's to do with me. That's to do with me. So that's thing. Then you move on to we've got motivation. So it's things that what is it drives your character? What you know? Will you back up your friends or will you go for the out for yourself? You know what? What is it that's important to you? In my case, you know, I was I, I've played quite a few very selfish characters who at the, the drop of a hat will turn on the team, which isn't a great. I I don't. I should maybe caveat that I don't ever do anything where I want to see cause the deaths of any other characters, but I would quite happily work against them for my own my character's own mm-hmm. personal profit. But if it came to the stage where the actions of me as a player were to get somebody else killed, I would actually stop the play and say to the GM, like, no, because I would try. Usually I discuss this stuff with the GM and I tell them, right, this is my characters out about and what they're up to. But you don't just discriminately kill characters without them having any say or, or having a chance to defend themselves. That to me is the, the you've got to have that. It's really a, a kind of fine line, but you've got to be really careful with it. Mm-hmm. You can, I think, it's okay to act against the characters so long as you know it's the GM's problem. If I don't know, for example, I suppose if you were going to like set some of your team up, you've got to realise that the, the, the GM's got to make that fair to everybody else. He's got to give them ways out of it. Mm-hmm. If you create something within the group that's causing attention in the game. It's, you've got to be really, really careful with this stuff because it can just boil over and like it can really upset players as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, but I do think the cyberpunk universe, the same as the alien universe, is set up for characters to be selfish and have their own, you know, drives and and things like that. That mean that they don't necessarily always do what's best for the team. They maybe do what's best for themselves. Having said that, it does say a lot of the time that you're your enemy as the corporates and the governments and the corrupt police and so on so yeah maybe i'm maybe i'm overplaying that element of it i don't know but maybe it's just because that's what i 
<laughs> gravitate towards doing, I don't know. So yeah, the motivations, you can choose a role them, but it doesn't matter because you can just make that up yourself. You know yourself, whether you're shy or if you're violent and aggressive or antisocial, these kind of things. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think I've I think I've think ruled them for, for the characters I've played, mostly because of that sort of stuff. It's maybe not been something that I've had in my head, you know, fundamental to character, you know, past romances or siblings you know, that, that aren't important to the to the kind of the story I've got in my head. But when you do roll it up, it gives you little threads to pull at, not just as a GM, but as a player as well, that you can kind of develop on. I think one of my first characters rolled up and he ended up having various, it turned out to be a bit of a lethario just by the, the roles he got. So that ended up impacting his personality a bit more than I'd planned. And it does, yeah, it definitely helps, especially if you're either new to role playing or you're a little bit introverted generally, then it, it, it definitely can help, let's say, tug, tug on little threads and, and uh, give you on how to you know play a character yeah no that's interesting because normally i figure out the personality first i usually know what it is that i'm wanting to play yeah i mean i, I will look at the uh, this applies to all games about uh, when it sees kind of if there's character classes you know like we talked about earlier on the rocker boys the solo fixer and so on mm-hmm. i will look at those first and i'll decide what type of character type i'm going to play but i usually work out in my head as soon as I've picked that, what what their personality is, because that's the kind of bit that's most interesting to me. What's going to be interesting? What's going to be fun to role play? Yeah, yeah. Which is another reason why I I, I quite like being quite animated in the game because I yeah I do feel that's part of the fun of it as well, role playing because it is an escape from reality. And... Yeah, see, I, I think I, I come at it slightly differently. I'll, I'll I'll tend not to be too involved in the the session zero or the week zero type affair of, of building the character and it won't be until maybe a couple of sessions in I've really cemented which celebrity I want to plagiarize <laughs> for the for the remainder of the campaign or or, or which uh, you know which character from a popular TV or movie you know I want to I want to steal. But yeah it, I mean yeah I guess not for lack of creativity. I, I do find it hard going in cold to think of a new character that one of the archetypes that I've either played before or generally gravitate to. And again I think I think this is why the character creation in Cyberpunk is quite good because it does not necessarily push you, but it can lean you in certain directions that you weren't necessarily thinking of, and it's to move you out of your comfort zone a wee bit. Absolutely. The rules give you quite a, a few guidelines for motivations, um, So, as well as give, asking you about your, your personality traits. Um, ask questions like, who's the person you value most? Is it parent, sibling, lover, friend, a pet? even also ask you what you value most is it money honor knowledge vengeance love how you feel about most people like your, your outlook against <laughs> and there's uh you know go from liking people to absolutely loathing them the whole kind of spectrum there also ask you about your value possession i always quite like that because i always like to have props when i'm playing not really necessary these days where we're restricted to the internet but yeah, I've always liked having some kind of prop where, for example, in, in Cyberpunk, I had I got like a kind of bullet around a chain that I used to, to wear, which was for the character. It wasn't for it wasn't anything I was particularly interested in wearing uh, as such in general terms. But yeah, I always quite like that. I always feel it gives you another into the kind of psychology of your character if you've got something there that's a, that's a prop. And then you've got life events, which for every year above 16 that you are, um, something happens now. Cyberpunk is limited to your age being 16 plus 2d6. I don't like that as a, I don't like something as firm as that. I, I prefer to just to, the players to decide what age they are. And if if, it, if somebody wants to play a 60 year old, I don't really see why they shouldn't pay, play a 60 year old. Um, the one thing that would affect would be this section about the life events because you're supposed to roll a life event for every year above 16. So if you were 60, this shit becomes possible. So I would do, you know, I would then, as a GM, would say, right, you're going to be rolling, you know, ten life events instead of, instead of the full, whatever that would be, forty, forty-four. And so yeah, you get the life events as well. Um, so you get big problem. This is when you do have to roll things. So you roll, you roll dice to see whether these things happen. You know, did you have? Do you have big problems in a given year? Did you have big wins? So sometimes you'll have disaster strikes. So it could be a betrayal or an accident or a lover, friend, a relative was killed, hunted by the law. All sorts of different problems can happen. Uh, you can get lucky where you make, make a contact. You 
find a teacher, you know, you get a big score in a job or gambling or something like that. You then you've also got friends and enemies you roll for. Sorry, I should say sorry. Like when you're rolling for this, it's you find that for each year you find out. So you you'll either have big problems, big wins, or friends and enemies, or romantic involvement, or nothing happened that year. So that's the kind of options within the, the friends and enemies. You find out who the enemy is, whether you hate them or they hate you. The flip side is that you you made you made a friend and you've got some some did thing for the GM because it's an NPC that you as a player might just off the your own back say, I want to go and see such and such because they're in my ground and I want to ask them about this and what or I want to ask them to help me and I think that's a really good thing. You think of the romantic life, which is which is interesting. Don't see that much in any role playing games where you decide and you find out how it worked out. Did it end in tragedy? <laughs> and that's not just necessarily that they killed off, but things like the lover was kidnapped or the lover went insane. I love that one. That's like <laughs> Um, so yeah, some of that's quite dark. Sometimes there's a complication in a relationship, like there's a third party or one of you's insanely jealous of the other one. These are all things that are in there and you have to do it. You can choose or you can roll how that played out, whether you're still in love or you know that, that, that relationship ended. And that's really all the background stuff. So that to me, that's a bit that I think is fantastic about it. Um, on the more technical side of things, I'm not going to go through all of this, but how the game works is you have stats and under your, each stat you have skills. And when you're going to try and do anything in Cyberpunk, you check what your stat is and you add whatever your skill is together, the two numbers together, and then you roll a d10 and you add that to the score that you had before. And if the task is easy, you need to roll 10 or above if it was of average difficulty, 15 and above, difficult 20, very difficult 25, and if it's nearly impossible, it's 30 or above. You have to do with these rolls. So it's very rare that you'll see a 30 roll because the stats only, the stats and skills, I think the limit is 10. It's unlikely that you're going to get 30 plus. So, but that that really is without getting into the. Yeah, it's fairly, it's fairly concise, isn't it? Fairly elegant. Yep, exactly. I mean, there's a lot more detail and grit than that. Yeah. I think there must be, I think I did count these up the other night, and there's something like 70 abilities or something, uh, sorry, skills rather. Yeah, I was just I was just having a spin through the, even just the core rulebook as well, with the amount of stuff in it, in terms of gear and weapons, and yeah. obviously your augmentations and stuff like that. It's, it's incredible, and this is just the core book, there's obviously the, the add-on books, or the Chromebooks, books. Yeah, the Chromebooks that... are, are shopping guides, and it's, yes, it's all sorts of, you know, new gear, new technologies new gadgets yeah it's it's bewildering how much stuff is in those those books and and i think i think that's that's the thing i don't know if 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 you want to cover that much but i i wonder how you feel it compares to maybe more modern role-playing systems that you've played like aliens that, that kind of thing which seems to be a bit more compact i guess um do you think it's a a good thing or a, a bad thing having the having the kind of slight limitations it depends on your players, really. I think. I think it comes back to that same thing we were talking about with the, the kind of character background. How how much do you want to get into this? If you don't really want to yeah. go through this, I mean, I agree with you. I think the rule book, the Cyberpunk twenty twenty rule book. I don't think you need the Chromebooks. I really don't, because I think there's so much stuff that's in this this rule book for you to customize your character. So many options that you don't really need the Chromebooks because there's plenty of stuff here that you that can make your character interesting and things that you'll like and things you'll love and some things you won't like. <laughs> I mean, I can I can imagine as a I can imagine as a, as a kid picking this up at the time, it must have been, you know, both intimidating but also incredibly exciting just to dive into it all with the amount of detail in it. Yeah, and the amount of just stuff to read. Yeah, I was really excited when I when I got my copy and, and, and was reading all this stuff and I was like, oh, it's got this technology and it's got this skill and that. They go, oh, they can do that. And that's a, a young, enthusiastic mind getting stuck right into it. Whereas I think for me coming in as a jaded uh, late 20 something at the time, perhaps, I just I just found it overwhelming. And I was just like, I don't know. Someone tell me, what do I want? What do I, want? What do I need? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then it, it also feels like one of those ones where there's there's not gotchas, but there's definitely there's definitely things you need. There's definitely bits of gear that you you want from the get go, mm-hmm. and then there's stuff that's 
purely aesthetic. You know, at the end of the day, it's really cool and all that and all that kind of thing. It's a big part of the game, but you can quite easily spend your starting funds on a lot of nonsense, really, and end up with with nothing discernible to take into a fight. Or that's true. I mean, probably as a GM, I didn't do my job there because I I don't I think I just gave you carte blanche. No, and... no, no. I think I think I think I think there was definitely guidance, um, and there was some more experienced players as well that were that were able to kind of point me in the right direction for that sort of stuff as well. But I just feel like, yeah, if you if you were coming in cold, if you were a new gaming group that picked this up and had never seen it before and nobody had played it, including the GM, it could be quite easy to get lost in the in the sauce quite quickly. And I just, I just find that, I, th- I think from my limited experience of other systems, there's, I think the way they're going seems to be a lot more compact and streamlined to, to kind of maybe encourage new players in, or maybe it's just... The kind of current generation of players doesn't have that same willingness to to dive into hundreds and hundreds of pages of of stats and, and charts and, and tables on things. But then on the flip side of that, I, I do find it's something we'll probably cover in another session. We talk about the alien RPG. There seems to be out of the box with that one. There's there's a very limited amount of things you can you can have in terms of your your weapons lists. Maybe I think there's I think there's maybe five or ten guns. But I guess the question is, does that it, does that break your immersion not having access to more if you know what's the point in having 10 rifles that all do more or less the same thing with just maybe one stat different it's is it better to have it concise or certainly true of star wars because that's pretty much you've got a blaster the heavy blaster pistol and yeah about two or three other but and then don't they all do the same thing and that's why he's loot's not a big thing in, in star wars because it's like they're all the same they're all the blasters are the same so yeah and I, th- I think I think there's I think there's players and there's groups that would that love the 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 kind of micromanagement of finding a weapon that does plus one more damage than the last one they had, so they can chuck their old one away and get that new one, or trying to get the funds to get that new one, that kind of thing. But I guess there's also another group that would like the abstraction of you've got a pistol, a rifle, one's fully automatic, one's semi-automatic, and and that's your lot. Um, if if essentially they all do the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Definitely. So you've got career skills, which helps you. At the start, it tells you, when, once you've picked your character type, it tells you not only your special ability, but it tells you which weapons that you should be having. Uh, sorry, not weapons, what skills you should take. So that helps you. But you've also got pick-up skills, and then that's that does involve reading because it means you're going to flick through and find out other cool skills to add to your, your kind of list of things. I'm not going to say any more than that about it. And it's the same, like you say, like we were talking about with the the weapons, the equipment, and the cybernetics. There's just lots of stuff, lots of options. Weapons wise, the thing I would always say is, is try and get smart gun links because they, they, that helps you your accuracy when you're firing a gun. I always like that. There's a bit like the the interface plugs you see in the Matrix, where you know how they've got it, them in their arms, where they can plug a cable into their arm and it's a cable that plugs into your arm and plugs into the gun and it makes the gun feel like it's an extension of your body which i always thought was a really cool idea yeah and i always quite like the the cyber optics which are cybernetics you can you got a certain amount of starting funds so you can buy yourself weapons equipment and cybernetics with all that i always thought this cyber optic as well when you you could have like the target appear over your your vision was a, was a cool idea as well so they were always things that i kind of gravitated towards myself and i always loved the, the there was a what was that called that gun there was a a, a very heavy armor light 44 that's what it was <laughs> that was my that was always my gun of choice because it did massive damage um yeah, it's a proper dirty harry magnum yeah exactly there is a coat as well and they do have the, the dirty harry gun as well oh, i think the armor light 44 is the is the dirty harry one the coat emt is more like a semi-auto pistol all right okay we're getting into it but <laughs> right, okay no i'll take your word for that yeah so there's lots of customization and you could get lost in the book doing it if you want to my advice would be have a quick skim through it if there's something you think's cool go for it buy it as long as your gm check it with your gm first i wouldn't go too overboard with the cybernetics particularly at the start of the game because it doesn't really give you anywhere to go i think this is part of the attraction of it for me is of, of role playing in general terms is you know that thing where you're improving your character as you go on and i think if you start off as a tank what's interesting about that not really much it's the same with those special abilities i was talking about earlier on i think it's good to have them at a fairly low ability when you start so you've got somewhere to grow mm-hmm. you, you do have the points that if you if you had enough you, and you just put everything into your special ability you could have plus 10 in it but that would mean you would start the game as if it was rocker boys for example that we we're talking about earlier on 
then you're already like superstars. Yeah, where do you go? Yeah, yeah down I suppose is the, is the <laughs> only way. Um, but I, I prefer to be yeah. up the way, I suppose. So yeah, that that to me is one of the things I would say. Don't spam things because you're not going to grow as a character in any way. It's not. It's, it's not really as interesting. So yeah, and I'm sorry if I'm if I'm kind of just you know washing over that very quickly about the weapons equipment cybernetics but really there is far too much to say other than you can augment your body to you know and replace parts the downside of all this by the way every time you're grafting or replacing limbs you can have replacement limbs and organs and if you can dream it it's pretty much there but the downside is the more tech you strap onto your body or replace human flesh as it were you lose humanity in the, the game which means once you're your humanity goes down to zero, then you become a cyber psycho and essentially going on a, a kill crazy rampage and the, the cops are sent out to, to shoot you down. So that's the, the one thing you've got to be, you know, pretty wary about is uh, not losing all your, your humanity. And uh, that's really the all end all of, of character creation, hopefully. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Is there anything you want to add, sorry, Craig, before I, I sign us off here? No, I think I think that's I think that's us covered, yeah. Yep, me too. So good stuff. So yeah, I'll maybe talk some more about GM and uh, Cyberpunk in future sessions. But I think that really does cover the basics of the the game about what Cyberpunk is. We did we covered that in the first podcast and this one about you know the different teams you can have, the different characters you can have, and I suppose the main thing to just say is to have fun with it, to to create something you think is really cool, and yeah, go there to the max with it. Yeah. I mean, I've always seen it as a, I don't know if I said this in the first one or not, but I've always regarded cyberpunk as, as when the action starts, I've always imagined John Moore films where it's like they're diving through windows and they're you know, <laughs> shooting guns at the same time and or onto trolleys and shooting guns and sliding down banisters, always shooting guns, always shooting guns. <laughs> As long as you've got, as long as you've got the rules to back it up, I guess. <laughs> like, as, long as long as you look cool doing it, that's that's the uh, the main thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, I hope I hope you've enjoyed listening to these first few podcasts. And as I say, I'll try and some more with the GM side of things. Maybe talk as well a wee bit from the players as how how they should do it. But I think what I've just said there actually covers it pretty well. As a player, you should always just go out to have fun and to be as cool as possible. <laughs> in cyberpunk and you and you won't do much wrong so anyway um yep hopefully i think the next podcast we'll do will probably be alien but i will be coming back to cyberpunk as i say to do those gm ones we'll uh, speak to you soon thanks then bye, bye.